here we are at Dump Talk Raceway for the first annual Team Cool Car Derby. The rules are simple. We keep talking and the prize is your entertainment. I'm Roots of Justice, your announcer for this evening. Let me introduce you to tonight's racers. First, we have car number one, Adult Language and Situations. He was banned from the European circuit for his saucy mouth. Listeners of the broadcast should be advised to send the little ones to bed, for whenever he opens his mouth, trouble ensues. Car number two is spoiler alert. She has seen all of Apare Raman and is absolutely willing to tell you the juiciest parts of this anime series. If you're interested in watching this cartoon series, I would suggest waiting to listen to this broadcast until you have. Next up is car number three, Personal Opinions. We on this episode have our opinions, and they may not reflect the Dub Talk Raceway as a whole. Please bear this in mind. Hang on one moment as I am waiting for the rest of the roster and... Wait, that's it? Three cars? Really? Doesn't seem like much of a fun race if it's only three cars. But you know, it should be a fun episode nonetheless. Enjoy! Hello, hello there, one and all, and welcome to the Dub Talk Continent, where tonight we're gonna have the trans. Continental Dub Derby, where we're gonna go from the hellish pits of my sister, my writer, that's not even dubbed. Fuck. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. This is the intro now. I'm not even trying anymore. Hi guys, welcome to Dub Talk. It's Megan. It's Night with Pete. I have- I have- the cool car is here to ride once again. We've descended from space. We are no longer starblazing it. The or weed highs we? run off. We've traded, based on how colorful this show is, we've traded in the weed for acid. <laughs> so with me tonight, I have Spaceman Hardy. Dude, where's Yamato? <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have Roots of Justice. Listen to me, I'm on Old Timey Radio. And I have Amon. Well, looks like those rascally dub talk hosts are at it again. <laughs> That's right. Tonight we have we have kicked a British woman out of her phone box and decided to go back in time to the old timey West where Clint Eastwood could hang him high and hi mom. <laughs> okay, mom, how much do, mom, do you want to describe on air who like your old time crush was in westerns? All right, I love you, mom. Thank you. <laughs> You have a very different relationship with your parents than I do with mine. <laughs> I Listen, I had to get my unabashed horniness from someone. Mm. Anyway, back on a track, you could say. Mm -hmm. God damn it, I hate myself. Back on track tonight, we are here to talk about Opera Ronmon, the 2020 original anime from acclaimed studio PA Works, who did series such as Soccer Quest, uh, Shirabako, uh, the movie Maquia and something last year called Fairy God. Yeah. Sorry. We don't talk about that I, one. Sorry. Fairy um, Gone? Y you mean like Fairy this... fairy Tale, right? No. No, that's no. that that's A1 Pictures. 
This this one has a much more muted color palette. Mm-hmm. It's JoJo's, oh, but without color. Oh, that episode I hosted for the How? show that's kind of. <laughs> However, Fairygon probably respects its women more than Fairy Tale. That's true. Yeah, and at least King of the Hill is on Hulu. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just saying. You know what? Everyone should watch King of the Hill because that is Texas the anime. It's true. <laughs> Sadly, this anime did not go to Texas, but it did go through many parts of the West, including Denver, which I'm surprised nobody got mile high there. Um. <laughs> anyway, that there is what we sun- call a roundabout joke. Thank you, old-timey Patrick. Um, I've got a plate of wingies. Uh, so, let's go over the summary of Apare Ranman. Uh, the summary is as follows. Set around the start of the Meiji era in Japan, an eccentric and enerv- yeah. Here we go. Set around the start of the Meiji era in Japan, an eccentric inventor and second son of a respected merchant family, Apare Serrano, decides one day to set off on an adventure. However, the samurai Kosume Ishiki is tasked with keeping Apare's eccentric behavior in check, you know, because Apare broke out of jail. While trying to drag Apare back to Japan, Kosume accidentally strands the both of them at sea until they are saved at the last moment by a passing American steamship. Now stuck in Los Angeles with no money and no easy way to return to Japan, Apare and Kosume decide to enter the Transit America Wild Race, where Apare gets the chance to build a custom automobile and Kosume gets the opportunity to earn enough money to return home. The two of them will have to work together while fighting off other rival racers, bandits, and other challenges they try to win. And along the way, we're going to run into a man with beautiful eyes, your drunk uncle, Native American racism, uh, to a giant bulky himbo who might just be a Disney princess, a one-woman army, kung fu, the French, and the world's greatest drinker. (laughs) So tonight we are here to discuss the English dub of the 13 episodes of Apare Ranman, uh, a dub that came out for Funimation and originally had the world not gone into shit, we would have been covering this like six months ago. Mm-hmm. Not wrong. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Apare was, had started in spring of 2020, got like three or four episodes out and then stopped because of the human malware. And then it came back. Yeah, in and fact, it got. If I recall correctly, it was announced by Funimation, and then it had its dub date announced for like mid-April, and then human malware. Mm-hmm. But when the dub did Literally. eventually resurface, they hit it once a week, so it did not miss a week. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, this was. I think one of the few dubs that actually went, like, week to week without ever missing a date. Right. I remember Patrick was literally at my house when we saw the trailer for this, and we kept rewatching the trailer. Oh, it was just so good. <laughs> and I immediately declared that Team Cool Car would ride again, mm-hmm. because, frankly, this is a show that appeals to all of us. Um, and, yeah... It's it's awesome before we even go into the dub. Like, even if you want, you're not a dub watcher and somehow you found this and I don't know why you're here, uh, welcome. But I mean, hi, uh, we, just watch- we got cookies. You can have some. Yeah. 
Like, this is just a show that you should just genuinely check out because it's that good. It's fun. And that's what we miss in anime sometimes. And that's what, especially what we miss in 2020. Mm. Is fun. The ability... Yeah. And the ability to drive your car across race with your friends and, uh, I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe, like, yeet a small child into a pool. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> like doing that? Just, 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 you take the boy and you, you, you yeet him. Alright, and let's just yeet ourselves into the directors and writers for this show. Uh, directing this is PA Works' biggest American fangirl herself, Caitlin Glass. Uh, and she is assisted by Sean Gann. The writer of this is Jared Green, who was supervised and helped out by Tyler Walker. Caitlin Glass will know as the director for series such as Soccer Request, Fairy Gone, and Shonen Maid. Sean Gann has assistant directed on Fruits Basket, the second season, Radiant, and Soccer Requests. Jared Green, you'll know, is the writer for series such as Case File, 221 Kabuki Cho, Stars Line, and Sorcerer's Stabber Orphan, uh, the 2020 remake. And Tyler Walker has done scripts for Ace Attorney, Dr. Stone, and Samurai Warriors. Uh, so let's do Amon, then Hardy, then uh, Roots, and then me. Okay. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to try to quietly eat some wings. Sounds good. Where do I start with this dub? Uh, I think we already said this, this show is great. Uh, it's ba- someone, 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 they come up to me and they say, I'm on, I'm on. What if, what if Cannonball Run, but anime in the old West? And I'm like, I'm intrigued. What about it? Uh, and... Yeah, it turns out I like the show a lot. <clears throat> and the dub's a real big part of that. This is a really, really well put together dub. Uh, I especially want to praise the writing. I think the writing on this is really strong and snappy. The banter is really well done. Uh, it is very consistently funny. Uh, it is It hits its dramatic moments really well. Uh, and it is just it is a blast to hear these people bounce off each other. I think it's been really, really well cast. We'll get into the more specifics as we hit various characters, but, like, everyone fits their roles really, really well. Everyone has been directed really well. Like, this this is very much one of these dubs where it's like, oh, these people record these all individually, and it doesn't sound like that at all. It sounds like this is all recorded, like, as a big group all at once. Uh, it is delightful. I could probably highlight certain lines, but I'd rather wait for them to when we get to their, their specific characters. Uh, also, I'm going to introduce you to the tedious gimmick I've introduced in this episode, which is that as we go through each group of characters, I will tell you which actor from Cannibal Run would play them in the <laughs> ill-conceived 70s version of this show. Yes! God bless! <laughs> oh some of them will make sense. Some of them will not make sense. Some of them will just be because I think that's a funny image. You'll hate some of them. You'll probably find this very boring, but I don't care. I'm amused. I am I am intrigued as to who you chose for Dom DeLuise's character. That is oh, all I will boy. say. Oh, it's going to be very dumb, I assure you. Anyways. Good old I, Dom DeLuise. I, it's not a movie from the 70s that Dom DeLuise doesn't show up at some point, don't you know? Them's the <laughs> rules. That's why he's in Blazing Saddles. Anyways, I'm, uh, yeah, no, this, this is a really great dub, and I'll get into more later. But um, I don't remember who's next, but you can go. It was Hardy. It was me, yeah. Now, I just wanted to appreciate... I think this show had one of the most 
tight-knit and yet diverse cast of characters that I've seen in the anime in a long time. And I think that the cast that was chosen for this was equally well tight-knit and diverse. Uh, I could really appreciate it that uh, as we get into it, so many choices were for from actors of different ethnicities, um, even some that weren't exactly playing the same ethnicity as their character, and yet it was still fit. And uh, I just like to see, I I, I just appreciate the because most of the actors that they got are not the typical Funimation um, voices that you usually hear. It was very new, fresh talent. And um, and it was a very diverse cast of both of characters and of actors, and and I can really appreciate that, um, because if for one thing you cannot say about this dub is that it's not adventurous and it doesn't take any chances. It definitely takes a lot of chance, chances, and and uh, that's something I really enjoy about it. Uh, I just I just really liked it overall. I don't know of any particular one-liners that stick out to me right off the top of my head, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I enjoyed it. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Hardy. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Roots. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you're fine. So, in terms of script writing, it is very, very fast-paced. It's very poppy. It's very in-your-face. Um, it is very, it is what this show absolutely needed in order to, you know, keep it going. Um, like Hardy was saying, the um, I do like the fact that, you know, I don't think this is the kind of cast you could have before the recording from home era that we are in now. Oh, absolutely. Um, I is... think they're I think they're taking full advantage of, uh, of being able to record from pretty much wherever. And I think other than the shows that are starting to be released now, Apare Ranman was <clears throat> probably the dub that that most uh, how how is I, I'm I'm searching for specific words. Embodifies? Uh most embodifies? Exemplifies? Yeah. This this to me feels like the the dub that probably most utilized the advantages of you know the the record from home. Mm -hmm. Just the ability to grab actors that you would probably wouldn't have ordinarily had a chance to have fly into Texas, do like thirteen episodes, and then go home. Um, even, even with the sort of workaround that they had before of utilizing California studios to bring in California-based actors, I don't think you could have done this the same way. Um, and I, we'll be getting into a lot of the casting here, and I, I think it's really neat. Um, but... Performances were pretty good. Um, accents are usually kind of a hit or miss for me. Um, but in here, a lot of them just kind of fit. Um, yeah, 
in general, I really liked it, and um, I'll probably have more to say in Final Thoughts, because I'm just kind of drawing a blank here. Um, needless to say, thumbs up on both the scripts and the direction. So there's something... I guess I'll... It's my turn, so I guess... There's something I really want to compliment uh, Jared and Tyler for, especially, is that this is a period piece for as wacky as it is. It's it's obviously, like, it's got steampunk in it. Like, it, it's got it there. Like, this is obviously not a real a historical fiction-y show. Like, a historical realism show. This is, hey, there's a guy with a neon pink car with eyes on the front. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know what? Bless his soul, because TJ is a riot, and he steals the show every time he's on, like, for more than five minutes. It's the TJ show. But... When you have a show that takes place in a time period, making sure you don't slip stuff that is very much codified to today's way of speaking. Like, if someone's throwing a kid, they're not yelling yeet when they do that. Or Kobe! Um, like, there's none of that. There's a lot of really fun, like, terminologies. Like, the fact that TJ never says tits... <laughs> But he says mama's milk bags <laughs> is, like, the best. Like, it's stuff, it's little stuff like that. Or, and then in the direction, you can tell characters' personalities based on the way that they maybe speak. Like, I know a lot of people when the first episode of the dub came out or the trailer came out, a lot of people were like, oh, Kosumi sounds so stiff and uptight. Well, yeah, that's his character, and the way that he speaks, it reflects that. And the way that Caitlin and Sean directed this, there are characters with all of the major characters that are a part of the core cast are all very eccentric in their own ways. And you can tell by the way that they perform, the, the voice actors perform the characters in tandem with the writing, that this was clearly done by a team that believed in this show. And that's the hard thing about doing a show like Opera, I think, is that Opera is a su uh, is a studio original. There is no... Caitlin cannot go read the manga of Opera and go, okay, to this person, this is what's happening next. And obviously, granted, they I don't know at what point of the sub this started, but... Obviously, it started more towards the latter end of the of the broadcasting when it started back up in summer. Obviously, you do have those episodes, but still, like even if you're even then an original series, you don't know what twists are going to be thrown out. Say they started when episode eight was out, you don't know what's going to happen in episodes nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and thirteen. So it, I do think there is this extra level of polish for this original series, and that everybody clearly believed in it. This dub is a lot of fun. This dub helps end the show is one of the easiest things you'll watch all year. Mm -hmm. like, like, there are some shows where you watch it and those 12 episodes feel like 20 years. Um, And it's not to say those shows are bad, but like after a while, you'll feel exhausted watching them. Opera is a show that I... I watched almost all. I think I the only episode I skipped was one because I had seen it already. I watched like twelve episodes of this, and I swear to God, I thought it was only like two o'clock when I was done. 
And I was like, damn, I sat here for a couple hours, actually. What the hell? Mm-hmm. And it was great. And this dub is great. And this ensemble is a lot of fun. It's like Hardy said, this is a, a cast that, for all those people like, oh, dubs use the same 12 voice actors, I'd I'll literally point at this show and be like, yeah. There's like, I think Al and, oh god, I would say maybe Al and Dylan are the two most prominently well-known of them. Among Funimation, at least. Among Funimation, and yeah. Like, obviously there are other characters who, their actors have been there for a while, but they haven't been in big-name things that, like, your average everyday person sees on Toonami or something. So, I really like the cast of this, too. So, (laughs) moving on to our first set of characters, let's talk about... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Snow White and his and his his big brother, the Bad Brothers. They are a pair of brothers who uh, initially, when the race starts, because essentially this has, okay, look, the Wild Race screening program basically has the employee background check level of a McDonald's, <laughs> to which is sure, why not? You gave us money. Or, eh, whatever, it'll make us look good. So the Bad Brothers essentially pose as the outlaw guilty Gil, murder butcher Gil, to get into the race. And eventually you find out that they're not because the guy posing as Gil would never hurt a woman or a child. And he's adorable. He's a big boy and he's very adorable. And that- How How did you describe him originally? He's a big himbo Disney princess. Yes. He's a big himbo Disney princess. Because, let's be real, Tristan drinks his respect women juice. He does. You're not wrong. And small animals tend to flock to him naturally. Yeah, there's there's this one scene. There's this one scene of, like, him and Hojito sitting outside. He's got, like, squirrels on his head and cats. And he's like, okay. Uh, It's also very funny that he goes to the big Shirabako shout out to get apple pies of all things. (laughs) He goes to a Don Don Donuts. Um, and then there's Chase, who's the... He's kind of the mouth and the brains of the operation, I would say. He's just kind of like the big ones, like, yeah, we're evil. At one point, though, they almost get a bunch of people killed. And then they turn out to be good. And you're just by the end, it's like, you know what? Fine, you guys can fucking be here, too. And by the time the race ends, they just want to fa- They just want to play Farming Simulator. <laughs> So playing Chase the Bad is Chris George, and playing Tristan the Bad is Tyson Reinhardt. Chris George will know his characters such as Masato Goman in Anime Gatteris, Joseph in Diamond Dollar, Prince vs. Penguin Empire, and Robbie Yargi in Robi Hachi. Tyson Reinhardt you'll know his characters such as Shinya Ozeki in Hinamaru Sumo, Itaru Daru Hashida in the Steingates franchise, and Kagari in Carnival. Uh, Hardy, why don't you go first this time? Uh, boy, we have... How do I describe these two? Um, sort of like the Laurel and Hardy of the West. <laughs> You've got the... Tristan's just here. Tristan's just here to see the animals. Yeah. No, it's... Uh, I, I always like these two when they play sort of like brother characters. Because they they do have very similar type voices. Very deep low uh, uh tyson's a little bit more raspy than chris's but they always complete comp 
complement each other very well. And so when they play off each other, I, I really appreciate it. Because um, Chase is sort of the big mouth, um, burly, uh, sort of kind of almost a bully, but deep down he's actually kind of a chill guy. Um, whereas Tristan, he is just a big old softy. Like, he doesn't want to hurt anyone, but if you if you mess with Hototo, he will jack you up. Yeah, he slammed that one dude into a, through three fences and into a cliff. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I like I like listening to these two play off each other. And, and when uh, when Tristan calls his big brother Bubba, he, he hates he's like, stop calling me that. Yeah, no, I, the, I, these two are delightful. That's all I got to say. All right, uh, Roots, go ahead. Okay. Um, sorry, let me... I just need... I, I have the list. I just need to grab it real quick to get the names. Uh, yep, Chase Bad. I... I love the fact that, you know, he starts out, like, the... The entire first half of the show, they are perceived to be the bad guys. And they kind of do some really heinous shit, too. Uh, namely, with the uh, with the just being absolutely willing to ram through the other racers after uh, blowing a canyon with dynamite. Like, they were absolutely willing to kill people at that point. But then by the end of the show, you're just like, these are just some good boys. They can have a little murder as a treat. Yeah. <laughs> as a treat. I see them bad brothers are up to it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just um, the bad old boys. Never meaning no harm. <laughs> Let's be real, they do harm. Beats all you ever saw been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. <laughs> Making the way the only way they know how. <laughs> they know how. <laughs> but that's just a little bit more than the law will allow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I had to go there, but you know. Um I <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I love in particular about Chase and like and Chris George's performance is um, Chase is basically seen as the voice of reason here but at the same time he's just like oh fuck yeah let's ram him <laughs> like these are these are just <laughs> and um and I also love that Tristan, played by Tyson, is is such a softy. Um, but I just like I love that they both kind of have this personified id, and they're just they're both just so they're both good boys, but they're so impulsive, and it's great. And the the ending fights that they get are just like. Chef kiss. Because, uh... Because, yeah, as... As Hardy was saying, um... Like, 
Tristan rams a fucker through, like... Oh, no, Megan said it. Um, Tristan rams a fucker through, like, three or four building walls, and then full-on Tex Avery's the guy into a cliff. Like, there was pretty much an outline of him when he when he popped back out. It was great. I don't know. Was it was it Sean Cal- or Kellen that he did that to? Oh, man. I don't... We're not talking about the Snake Gang, but they're, like... I think the prominent members are Sean Gann, Zena Robinson, Morgan LeRae, and uh, Kellen Goff. I want to say it was Kellen. Please let Kellen play good boys. Because I think Sean Gans was, um... No, it actually might... Anyway. Sorry. He He texts Avery's the guy into into the cliff, and there's, like, an outline of him when he, when he peels himself off. It was just great. And then, um... In Chase's fight against, um... I'm bad with names, guys. You know this. Uh, he gets into the, the fight guy, with, with with Gil. Yes. Um. But he totally gets shot. But he's okay because he uses like bits of the car as body armor underneath his clothes, and it's like he thinks ahead. Let's be real. He may be impulsive, but he comes prepared. But yeah, I I really love these two. They're they're just these great little <clears throat> like Chase is basically like like the hell yeah gung ho guy, and then Tristan's just as gentle. Animals love him, and you know if animals love a character, they're not bad guys. It's like the rule of anime. Like they're always played as a villain, but then. They, like, feed a bird, and then you're like, oh, this, he can't be bad. Unless you're cars. You could save a dog <laughs> and still be awful. Okay, fair. Yeah. But then again, JoJo's breaks all the rules. True, very true. <laughs> I was gonna say, speaking of JoJo, for the love of God, the show is not a JoJo's reference! For the Ooh. love of God! Ooh. I don't know, every... Everyone sees anime racing in the desert. They're like, JoJo's! That being said... Is, is that a thing in JoJo's? Yes, Steel Ball Run. Six. Oh, for fuck's sake. There's a <laughs> raptor Jesus, too. Yeah, yeah that, a that part I knew about, because that's way more interesting than a red... I've seen races in the desert, guys. Watch a fucking movie. <laughs> Watch something that's not anime for once in your goddamn lives. Okay, I really liked how Tristan is so soft-spoken. I'm done. I just love how Ahmad's like, yeah, no, fuck the raptor part. <laughs> He's like, that's that's the normal part of JoJo's. It's the race in the desert where he draws the line in the sand. <laughs> raptor Jesus, A-okay. Men riding horses through desert, get the fuck out of here. Oh, so they're not even on cars? What the? Whatever. Fine. Sorry, Grandpa. Would you like to go now? Yes. <laughs> so to continue with my stupid gimmick, 
the Bad Brothers. I was briefly considering putting Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise there, mostly for the joke of Dom DeLuise plays Tristan and is always shot so he towers over Burt Reynolds, even though he's Dom DeLuise. <laughs> but then I remembered, there's some good old boys in Cannonball Run. So I say Chase is played by them, which is Mel Tillis and Terry Bradshaw. I knew it! Yes. Wait, what? Yes, football player and sports commentator Terry Bradshaw. He's Tristan. because Yes. <laughs> look, look, this isn't even the weirdest casting part of this movie. Hardy knows what's coming up. Oh, yes. <laughs> he knows what's coming up. Who the fuck probably put Terry get a Bradshaw cast in there? Sorry, what? Who the fuck thought it was a good idea to put Terry Bradshaw in there? You probably yep. whoever gave O.J. Simpson an acting career. Yes, if you have not oh seen Cannonball God. Run, you really need to see Cannonball Run. Just the first Why one. Why can't anybody tell me I'm... Terry Bradshaw was in Cannonball Run? Now I'm going to go see this. I have to know. Isn't Cannonball hey, Run, isn't folks, he... it's a great movie. Isn't so... he the one who drove his truck into the hotel swimming pool? I believe so, yes. <laughs> that would be something that Chase and Tristan would do. Absolutely. <laughs> Tyson and Chris, I know Tyson would get a kick out of this conversation, so Tyson and Chris, if you're listening. But on to the actors who are actually in this show. These two are a goddamn delight. Um, I love when Chris George shows up in things. I think he's got a great voice. It's really unique sounding. I always like it when he gets to play more prominent characters. Uh, and I like how I like how he I like how he's able to sell Chase as a very credible bad guy up until the reveal, and then after that, just slide on over to you. Yeah, Chase is a pretty good guy actually. <laughs> like, he's not so bad once you get to know him. Uh, and Tyson plays Tristan is just such an absolute sweetheart. He is so he is so. It's like how could I hurt a crying child? I can't. I want to go over. I shall give up the charade because the child is crying, and I can't stand by that. He's so nice. And they just play off each other really well. It's like, you know, hey, bro, why did you have me go over to get pies in the mask? Was there a line? Hey, you're pretty smart, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. I just love that part where, like, just the animation on the entire line moving out of the way for him yep. is so good. Uh, it's it's a beautiful scene. I also, I also like Chris's little rant later about how you know, it's the code of the outlaw to never turn down free food where he's talking to uh, Opera outside the hotel and in the middle of it he just realizes Opera just put the pies down and left because he's Opera, that's what he does. He's just like, yeah. Damn it. I know. They're just a lot of fun. Like, I really enjoyed listening to them. They were a hoot. Uh, yeah, just... just... Look, look we're, we're good. this is a good ensemble cast. Like, everyone is really well cast, and I think this is a fine example of that just right here. I just, I'm still not over the fucking Terry Bradshaw thing. <laughs> look, like I said, we're gonna come to one later, it's gonna blow your mind. Now we're just imagining Terry Bradshaw doing an anime. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, Terry Bradshaw's All Might? Just how we long get to be Aizawa. <laughs> Thank you to all five people on here who know what the NFL on Fox is because you clearly came to an anime podcast for discussion on sports. <laughs> I am here. So what? Are, what? What are, what are our fans like? Man, I'm all footballed out today. I'm going to put on my favorite anime podcast and get away from all the football. 
Dirt Thirty minutes later. Ooh. God damn it! Damn. At two, dub talk. At two. Uh, we all know that Gil would be played by Tom Brady. <laughs> Oh, it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> All right, uh, it's my turn. So one of the things I really like about uh, Chris and Tyson is Chase and Tristan is like what Hardy said. These two guys sound a lot alike. You would believe they were actually brothers. Like, I actually got it confused on which one was which. I actually thought Chris was tight was Tristan and Tyson was Chase because for me I slipped them around like okay Tyson would play the kind of the more dickish one but nope Tyson's a big sweetheart and I've never really heard Tyson get to play like the big sweet boy in things I've heard Chris do it because Chris is everyone's favorite cheerleading meatloaf ton Mhm Yeah no, Tyson kind of played all... a, a sweet boy in Hinomaru Sumo yeah, he was sort of the same kind yet. of character Tone was. Um, but no, I love that Tyson is like, he's got the kind of like dumber voice, but he's not like, it's the stereotypical like, big dumb dude voice. It's just, he's very soft and like, oh yeah, my brother's the smart one. But like, <laughs> it's very clear that T Tristan's got the emotional intelligence of the pair. Mm-hmm. Because I love the scene where Kosume's in the hospital and Hototo is watching over him and he talks about how uh, Hototo needs to take care of himself and get some sleep and like how he's still going to be there when Kosume wakes up. And then you, I, I kind of like that they've become Hototo's brothers mm -hmm. from another mother in a sense mm. because they both give him really good advice about like protecting people. And, and God, I, I love the scene where Chase fakes his death <laughs> to the snake. And it's like the worst overacting that you could have ever imagined. Like that, that was the snake that eats its own tail. And yet it kind of worked. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally worked. Uh, I also shout out to when we actually get to talk about Seth. I swear to God, don't actually give Seth an actual dignified profile. It needs to be the picture of him in the barrel with the helmet. Because <laughs> that cracked me up. We're like, I can't believe they snuck into town in the barrels. How did Chase fit in there? What the fuck? <laughs> no, but I, I loved Chris as Chase too. And this is what I kind of meant. We're like, Chris and Tyson have been around the block for a long time. And they're in a lot of things, but they're not usually the most prominent characters. Obviously, they've had stuff in the last couple of years where they've risen to prominence, where they've played, like, a big lead in something. Like, uh, Chris is, obviously, uh, Ruby Hachi and Tyson was a big part of Hanako. But, like, they're not people that, like, everybody really thinks of when you think of, like, big-name anime voice actors. And that's a shame, because they're both really good at their job. Um, and they're also very good at their other things they do in anime. I don't think any of us ever have a problem with a lot of things that Chris George directs or, uh, or Tyson works on, but that's another story for another day. Uh, overall, I, I love these guys. They are, they are so much fun. And there is like a, there is no unfun character in this show to me. And the one character who is the biggest stick in the mud gets to be the eternal butt monkey by the end of it. Mm -hmm. And yep. that's all we really want in life. 
speaking about wanting things in life, uh, murder, women, and a good time. So let's talk about it, the Thousand Three, a group of outlaws who somehow managed to get their way into this race. Uh, two, because money and power and they both want the same woman. And then there's the actual villain of this show. They are Dylan G. Olden, who is uh, the kind of dandy outlaw whose entire personality can be summed up as the guy who's trying to be a lone wolf and failing. Um, he's all, I, I lovingly call him your drunk uncle. He's always hitting the flask. Because, yeah, he's he's the guy in the Western who's drinking away his sorrows because his woman, like, the woman he loved was killed. Um, there's Crazy TJ, who is the, the best character in the show, honestly. Like, let's be real. TJ is the best. He, he shows up and has a good time. He has some of the best dialogue. And those beautiful eyes. So absolutely dangerous. He has to keep them under like metal goggles. He's so dreamy. <laughs> it's my headcanon that he is the he is the ancestor of one Barrett. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? That's why Barrett's eyes are so beautiful, Hardy. <laughs> and then there is Richard Reisman, or should we call him? Guilty Cigar! Oh my god, his name is literally Guilty. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's like... That's like Donald Glover realizing his name can be shorted to Don Lover. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys never seen that? No. <laughs> no. It's an image... It's an interview he's doing with Jimmy... Uh, like, Jimmy Kimmel, where he's like, Man, you can shorten my name to Don Lover. <laughs> Don and then G because his last name like Don Glover Don Glover it's it's yeah oh. guilt guilt uh, his yeah. name is literally guilty cigar yeah. thank you thank you PA yeah. works uh he is go ahead Hardy I want you to know about the penis mice here what does it do Gil, Gil's thing is that violence is the only thing in the world and he's going to do whatever he wants and kill whatever he wants and takes to whatever he wants. He is basically like the edgelord in the in the old west I'm a, uh, the old west D&D session. Like he's even got like the, he's even got the chuny like tattooed black and red eye. Mm-hmm. He is literally like an over the top caricature. He's he's Lad Russo in the Wild West. (laughs) Like, that's the one thing I appreciate is we don't get a lot of anime that are, like, based around westerns. Nope. And, like, every western has that over-the-top villain. Oh, it's delightful. I mean, not delightful, but you know what I mean. Yeah. He kind of kills a couple people. He's a real piece of work. Yeah, I think he throws Chris Sabat out of a train at one point. He does. <laughs> just just hurls him right he out of it. He just picks him up and throws him. Yep. Just like, I love when the first time I saw him and I was just like, there's no way with that character design that you're not the fucking bad guy. Oh, I'm I looked sorry. at him and it's like, oh, you're incredibly suspicious. No one's that nice. <laughs> not Nobody in America. looks like that. Oh, Lord. Playing Dylan is Robert McCollum. Playing uh, 
TJ is Ace Anderson, and playing Gil is Brendan Potter. Robert McCollum, you'll know his character such as uh, Fumihito Nanahara in Blood Sea, Shirasu Kinjo in Laughing Under the Clouds, and Tessai in Samurai 7. Ace Anderson, welcome to anime! Yay! Brandon Potter, you'll know his character such as Sven Volfield in Black Cat, Nicholas Brown in Gangsta, and uh, Yukinori Shinohara in Tokyo Ghoul. Um, Roots, you're going to start off this time. All right. Um, I think I'm going to start with Brandon Potter and Gil. Because you know what? This is not the first time Brandon Potter gets to play a villain that hoists another villain by their own petard. Because uh, first, because here you have him yeeting Chris Sabat out of a train. Um, and the last time, you might have remembered him kind of... Putting a little too much bolognese in a lasagna. Oh, yes. I still haven't watched that, and none of you will ever let me look at the lasagna clip out of context. He was no. Fango. I know, and I still haven't watched I've Okay, I started 91 Days with my mom one Christmas where she was a little too intoxicated, and I've just never have touched it since. No, you need to see yes, that my... clip in context. Yes, my mom thought 91 Days was an appropriate... My mom thought 91 Days was an appropriate Christmas anime. Yeah, it's basically Bacchano I mean... if it was played entirely straight. Yeah. But yeah, having having made that point, um, Brandon Potter is just deliciously hammy here. Like, every bit of scenery he is around, he just shoes into a wonderful pulp. Um, and yeah, as, as Megan mentioned, he gets to be like this chuny edgelord as well. Just how violence rules the world, killing people is fun and all that. Like, it's, it's great. I absolutely adore this performance. Um, especially at the very end of the show when he's finally beaten and he's just like, he, he's still spouting all the, okay. My favorite scene is like at the very end when he has his comeuppance and he's tied up and he's still spouting all of his shit and he's stuffed into, I want to say it's TJ's car or yeah, he's in TJ's trunk. Yeah, they stuff him into TJ's trunk, and he's still spouting all this nonsense, so they shut the trunk, and he's still going. Yeah, I I laughed my ass off at that scene. Because, I mean, his, his whole plan was he wanted to send a train into, into the um, Chicago Rail Station uh, just to blow it all to smithereens and cause a bunch of chaos. Like, that was his whole plan. For, for the lulls. Yeah, pretty much for the lulls. I don't think there was going to be any revolution that followed, but, you know, who knows. Um, now, Dylan, I liked Robert McCollum when he played Dylan a bit more sullen. Um, obviously, he's playing... For most of the show, he plays Dylan with a bunch of false bravado. Um, he is very much puffing his chest. 
Um, and obviously he's got some of the bigger sponsors of the race backing him. And he was considered the favorite to win. Um, but all of this is just fluff because deep down he is like, he is very much a hurting man. He lost the love of his life. Not only did he lose her, she was taken away from him pretty cruelly. And he dr basically drinks to drown out all that sorrow. Um, I think... I think the standout scene for him is toward the end as they're preparing for the, the big final climatic battle. Um, where him and TJ actually talk about it. And, like, it gets raw. And I really enjoyed it. And let's be real. Ace Anderson just steals a show whenever he's on. Um, TJ is such a boisterous character. And Ace absolutely has... Like, that big swagger energy to him. Um, and let's be real, like, um, I had an absolute riot with the, um, your mama's milk bags line. Um, so yeah, these three were great. Absolute thumbs up. And yeah, eight... Ace is definitely a standout performance of this group, and I hope to hear more from him from, in general, anime dubs. I'm not sure I'm not sure which of the dubbing regions he's from, um, but I hope to see him in more things. Where do I start? I guess I'll start with, uh, I guess I'll start in the same order as Roots did and start with Gil. Gil is, as I like to call him, he subscribes to the Lad Russo philosophy of life. Uh, evil is fun. Killing is fun. You don't need a reason. Just do it. And every moment he's on screen after his big reveal is just... I don't know whether we would... Where he lands between being deliciously evil or just being edgy edge face. I mean, he kind of walks a fine line. You have to... It, 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 that villain can be pulled off well, but it has to be done right. And I think in, in Gil's case, he does it right, and, and Brandon really chews the scene every time he's on screen. Um, and yeah, if, if you enjoyed this performance, then definitely check him out as Fongo in 91 Days, because it's very similar. Because... Um, Gil is basically the Wild West equivalent of the 1930s gangster type. Uh, as far as Robert as Dylan goes, uh, I really enjoyed his sort of his sort of like Texan swagger. He, he's like he's an outlaw, but he's more like he's an outlaw, but he's on the right side of of things. Like, yeah, he'll commit a crime, but he's largely left that past behind him now and right now he just wants he wants closure and he wants to just handle things alone but he knows that he can't really do it alone so you kind of have to appreciate his inner strife that he goes through um let's talk about tj 
I am fully convinced that TJ is a time traveler from the 1970s. <laughs> he's, he's got that vibe. Like in the back of his little little pimp truck, he's got a flux capacitor. <laughs> Because he's got a portable record player that he plays in his car. Where he got it, I don't know. Because Operator didn't make it for him. Um, but it just, he, out of all the characters, he's the most one to stand out. And Ace just plays him with such a flamboyance and such just this energy. And uh, it's just, he's just a... He's just a delight to behold, and, and, and I have to agree, he is probably my favorite character on the show. And I wish we'd seen more of him, but that's all I have to say. Alright, uh, Amon, I don't believe you went. No. Alright, so, here we so go. So, onto, onto my stupid gimmick. I was, I was unsure who should play Dylan and TJ until I refreshed myself on the cast list at Cannibal Run, and then I thought, of course, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Who else? <laughs> Is it young in their prime? Is it young in their prime, D. Martin or Sammy Davis Jr.? Or aged and old at the time the movie was made, D. Martin, Sammy Davis Jr.? You decide. Uh, the more you your own adventure. the cast of Cannonball Run, the more this movie <laughs> sounds like it's up my alley. Look, can, look with Cannonball Run, especially in retrospect, you look at it and it's like, this cast is absurd. How is this an actual movie? Um... And for, for Gil, I wasn't sure, because there's an antagonist in uh, Cannonball Run, but he's kind of a stuck-up guy, he isn't really a Silicon Gil type, so I thought, who do I want to play Gil in this theoretical movie? And there's only one choice. I want Burt Reynolds to play him. Because <laughs> Burt Reynolds would kick ass in this role. <laughs> Given the late recur revival he never had, fictional movie. Suck it, Trebek. Oh, wait, that's Sean Connery. <laughs> Where did you get that hat? I found it. <laughs> See, that's something Gil would do. <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, he does kind of actually do that at one point in the show, so... Anyways. Uh, anyways, on to the actual actors. Uh, where to start? Uh, I agree. Like, I, 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 Robert's really good as Dylan. I also... I think he really can't... He, he's good... I feel like a lot of Dylan's story could come off as very, like, kind of maudlin and out of place, and I think it's credit to the show that a lot of his uh, sorrow and pathos feels very earned. Uh, I even like the fact that, like, when he's talking about, like, you know, uh, you know, um, I forget what his beau's name is, it's like, uh, if only she wasn't with me, she wouldn't be dead, and TJ's like, damn right! Like, this is absolutely your fault, fuck you! Just and you know, you know, he's hurting too, but it's kind of like, yeah, no, this is entirely your bullshit. This is your fault. Own it. Uh, which I feel like I feel like shows usually try and like let characters kind of get around some of their past actions. It was kind of interesting to see, but like, yeah, no, Dylan fucked up, and he's it's still it still hurts. Uh, I think Robert Robert just plays him really well. I think he 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 walks that line of making him seem. He's like the halfway point between like a Clint Eastwood character and uh, that one guy in the three to ten, uh, three ten to Yuma remake who like uh, just kind of like badass but dandyish. Brandon Potter is really good as Gil. <laughs> I just what a ham. So much scenery shown. So many speeches. He's just really good at just playing him as just this over the top like 
edgelord jackass. He is so wonderful. Um, like once 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 kind of the dime turns and it's and Gil just like amps it up. It was just like this is so delightful. I could listen to him rant all day. What wonderful dialogue. What a wonderful performance. Uh, but I too want to give a shout out to Ace Anderson. Welcome to anime dubbing. Uh, he just sounds great, frankly. Like he's got a nice voice. He's got to read the phone book voice, and I think he applies that very well to TJ, who should maybe could almost maybe seem like too much, but I think Ace does a good job of playing him just right. Always going up just in the line of being like maybe a little too ridiculous, but never quite crossing it. Uh, and also doing a good job, I think, when he gets to some of his more sort of um, dramatic moments of making it still feel true to the character, but also being able to grounded in like his own like frustrations and sorrow uh this good just good performances like again shout out shout out shout out to uh like shout out to the staff like this is a really well cast show i'm gonna say that a lot this episode just a fyi <laughs> why would you say something why would you not it's true look i i had not watched this when we did the the voting for the dubbies and i was not able to put it down on my best ensemble cast and now that i have i'm like i should have put it there this is great oh good days anyways i'm done uh hardy i believe it's did no, you I go went. i went i went yeah you went you went before me oh fuck my brain is jacked up right now it's all right <laughs> I've had a long, I've had a long week, guys. No worries. Um, yeah, I hear that. I've had a week. <laughs> We've Megan has had like a very rough last month and a half. <laughs> you could, you've probably read my Twitter and seen what's happened to me. Um, I'll start off with Dylan for this. Uh, Robert McCollum is like, yeah, this would be Robert McCollum's character. <laughs> Um, I like when he plays, uh, Dylan as, like, why the fuck are you guys around me? Leave me alone. I'm trying to be brooding. I'm and everyone's like, dude, everyone's like, dude, just, just get over it. And just, like, I like how he, he's just kind of, like, I love the scene where, um, Hotata goes, who's Claudia? And he's like, you heard that? Like, I'm sorry. I love him and him and TJ's relationship. So fun. Like I love Robert in this because I think this is like Robert is very much the deadpan straight man in all of this. Like even more than Kosame is, I think it's Dylan. And I love when the show like gets its drama moments and it worked so well. Like there's a lot about the show that is very goofy and fun, but. There's a real heart to it, and that's there are two scenes with with Dylan that really get me, and that is when uh, when uh, Gil kicks his ass, and then when they're up on the roof, where him and TJ are up on the roof, and he goes, "Man, if you would have stayed up like a little bit longer, you would have seen Gil kick my ass too." But man, also those humor moments, like there's a part where when they storm the town and he shoots the guy and the guy's going to drop some, uh, a bottle of like whiskey. He just grabs and goes, now you shouldn't waste any hooch. And he just puts it back up and it's so smooth and badass. But like, I also giggled a little bit because it was funny. 
and then the scene where he's getting his haircut. <laughs> yeah. And the barber is talking his ear off. And if you're an introvert, that is the scene where you started to die a little inside. Because this guy is, like, going off, and he's just like, uh, and then, uh, Apre walks in, and he just pulls the newspaper up, and you can kind of hear, like, uh, and his voice, like, get me the fuck out of here, I don't like this, bye! And then Ace's TJ is so much fun. And I got to put together, I, I'm the one who put together, uh, a lot of the Dubby, uh, nomination video clips. And let me tell you, finding a TJ clip was, like, the most fun I had outside of getting clips for Run With The Wind, actually. And that scene that I picked where he's in, I think they're in Denver. And he's like, oh man, they are lowballing me on his, uh, his wanted tag. And he's just like, he's like, man, I just love the delivery of, man, I hate it here. <laughs> and it leads into what might be the actual funniest moment in the show which is where he al like what do we uh al comes up and he's like oh you're not bored you're just like he's like no dude i am bored out of my mind and they go to the bar and a aj's delivery of we're doing shots <laughs> yeah and then the the whole bar scene and just by the end of it, like, he's drunk, and you hear him, and he just goes, she's a keeper. <laughs> but also, AJ, for a guy who's never done anime, really gets it. Um, Especially in that scene where he's like, nah, man, she died because you wouldn't let her go, and uh, that uh, Dylan didn't deserve her because he saw her as a prize and not a person. And I love the fact that they both literally were after the same woman, but oh, it was just so good. It, it's that old westerny bullshit, man. The show knows it so well, and those guys do it so well. And then there's Gil, to which I'm the person who hasn't seen 91 Days, so I have no inclinations of what the fuck the Bolognese scene is. And please don't spoil it for me in the comments or send me the clip on Twitter I am watching 91 Days at some point early, like, in 20, after we do the dubbies. Like, I'm watching it, uh, Soccer Quest and Given, like, really close to each other. But just, Gil is so much fun, and just, like, by the end of it, you're like, I want- Brandon gives him a tone of voice where it's like, I want to see you get your ass kicked by the end of it by the gang. Like, he is so- he's over the top, but he's not, like- He's over-the-top and cartoonish without making it seem like a lampoon, in a sense. Where, like, Gil is evil and chuny and you want to see him go, but you could totally believe that he fits into this universe. Like, he doesn't feel like they picked up an edgelord out of an isekai and threw him in here. Right. Even though he talks like an edgelord, he does talk like an edgelord protagonist in an isekai these days. But... I, I loved it a lot. I also really liked when uh, he was being the nice version of him. I think he was convincing enough in there without, with, like, out hiding the malice. Um, and I think he, he did a great job. Alright, so let's move on from the bandits to the, to the industry. Let's talk about Team BMW and Team, uh, GM. Because, haha, get it? BMW, GM, car brand. Insert Titus laugh here. Ha 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 ha! 
Oh man, anybody got a hankering for some Blitzball? <laughs> no. Which would you rather, Blitzball or the push-up game from Final, the pull-up game from Final Fantasy VII R? <sighs> and the answer to that is nope. Shout out to our good friend Josh who somehow did that. <laughs> and don't and even get us started a on a lightning dodge. Ooh. What? Don't don't even get me started on the lightning dodge minigame of Final Fantasy X. Oh, I beat the lightning dodge. It was the butterfly catching that drove me insane. That one, too. <sighs> <laughs> anyway, on Team BMW, we have its young heir, Al Lion, uh, who is Frenchy McFrenchboy. We oui, Who, we, oui. oui. oh, Eiffel Tower car baguette. <laughs> Um, who, uh, according to what TJ said, is, uh, you ain't ever drank anything besides your mama's milk before, because he passes out after- He literally goes one tequila floor. <laughs> At least TJ got to one tequila, two tequila, three tequila. Yeah. Uh, and then there is Sophia, Sophia, who is Al's chaperone and the actual true drinking queen of the game. Sophia is the best. She's adorable. She also gets kidnapped at one point. She is the damsel in distress of the show. And then, because I didn't know where else to put him, Seth Rich Cutter. He's the bitch. <laughs> he is this, like, very weaselly former engineer who wants to be at the top because, like, his dreams got crushed. And he keeps calling Opera Kosame uh, Hotato monkeys. But eventually he ends up kind of, like, on the team and saves the race. And let's be real, if his picture in editing isn't the picture of him in the barrel with the helmet on, I quit. <laughs> like, he's in, like, a neon green safety helmet. That man could not get into Weenie Hut Juniors. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? No. Anyway, playing Al Lyon is Brandon, uh, Brandon McGinnis. Playing Sophia Taylor is Xanthi Wynn. And playing Seth Rich Cutter is... Blake McNamara. Brandon McGinnis, you'll know his characters such as uh, Ken Sudo in Classroom of the Elite, Alan uh, Alan Lanner in uh, Joker Game, and Yuta Asuka in Stars Align. Xanthi Wynn is interesting because this is, I think, the first time Xanthi Wynn was actually in a Funimation show that was dubbed at Funimation. Hmm. Uh, because Xanthi does a lot of work for uh, LA-based dubs, including characters such as Nazuna uh, Hiwatasha in Brand New Animal, Mayumi Hitomi in the Dragon Pilot and Haru Okumura in Persona 5 the Animation and all of the Persona 5 based games. Uh, Blake Nakdemari will know his characters such as uh, Toma, uh, Tomoya Mashiro in Ensemble Stars, Doug Swallow in Ace Attorney Season 2, and Kotatsu Samoji in Token Rambu Hanamaru. Uh, I guess I'm gonna go for- I'll go first for this one. Okay. And I'll start with- uh, I, I never- I usually go last in all my recordings, but I figure let's just- cycle it around. Uh, Blake as Seth is the one person I think I was like a little bit took me like the longest to get into actually. Um, but he grew on me as it went along. He gets to, he plays Seth as the very uptight like oh god businessman who's just like I want this to be GM's great uh, flourish into this future. He really didn't think about vetting anybody before they started this race. 
Like, he letting Gil, because he's like, oh, it would bring good business. And it's just like, dude, what the hell? Yeah, I want to I want uh, yeah, I want to talk about that at some point, but go ahead. Yeah, Gil, like Brandon, if Seth is not the the brightest bulb in the factory, like he's smart, but like common sense is a little missing. And I think Blake does a good job at it, especially by the end of the series, like you totally believe in him. He's very much got like kind of the stuffy rich guy voice. Um he's just very stuck up and eventually that kind of melts down and I'm kind of happy to see Blake McNamara in uh, something kind of more, I think, accessible to people. Because as much as I'm somebody who loves Ensemble Stars and Token Rambu Hanamaru, those are anime made for people who are exclusively into fucking anime like that. And obviously, I've dragged other people into watching them by word of mouth like a psychopath. Right, guys? (laughs) (laughs) No comment. But... What I'm like, it's like Five Nights at Freddy's, but ever behind every door, it's Megan shoving another mobage adaptation at you. Like, I come out, like, you look in the mirror and you say Megan three times, and I come out from under your bed with a copy of, like, Love Live. <laughs> like, it's like, um, What's Her Nuts coming out of, up from under the bed in Shiki, but instead of a vampire, it's literally like. An obscure idol like game that ha- phone adaptation that got an anime with a dub, and I just leave it for you and crawl back under the bed like the horror I am. <laughs> and you thought the Nico on drugs running down <laughs> to Miami was a horrifying image? Here, this is fake Grand Order. Enjoy. Enjoy. No. No. No, that, that's what happens if you say uh, AJ's name from Cartoon Cypher in the mirror three times. <laughs> he just pops out and gives you a copy of Fake Grand Order and goes back up to the thing. I love you, AJ. <laughs> and then, Brandon and Xanthi are so interesting as Al and Sophia to me because here's a big thing. They both do French accents the entire time. And they're both fantastic. Brandon, I was I was like, okay, I can believe this because he did do that one episode with uh, Tatum and Morgan Lorray and Joker Game where, and with Dallas, and they all did really good French accents. And frankly, if you're going to watch Joker Game, just do it for a lot of the dub of that show. The show itself, it's pretty good until the end. Um, I think Brandon was very convincing as this young kind of like, he's very much trying to prove himself, kind of like shonen protagonist. He's a little bit more of, like, the shonen protagonist or, like, the the more protagonist that I think we're used to following where it's, like, he's the heir of the company and his par- his dad doesn't think he's ready, but he's gonna do this big dumb event and prove to daddy that he's ready and he's got his little female companion who's there to cheer him on. Uh, but, like, he's going through all these troubles and hardships and she gets kidnapped, but he's not the main character. He's just a very prominent part of it. And I think Brendan does a really good job of this. I think he plays him... Uh, pretty youthfully, I would believe that this is a, a young kid in this race, and frankly, who gave him a license. And then, Xanthi as Sophia. I don't think I've ever heard Xanthi speak like this before. If you told me that this was Xanthi win, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, I'm not used to hearing Xanthi with an accent. This probably sounds a little bit like a younger version of Haru from Persona 5. Really fucking enjoyed it, though. I think it's fantastic. I think she's a, such a solid cornerstone of this dub. Definitely worth, uh, if you're a huge fan of her, to check this out just for her. And uh, then I'm going to toss it to Hardy. Yes. Okay. Um, one thing that's very hard to do is hold a convincing accent. 
Um, certain actors are better at it than others. Brandon, I think, uh, is able to pull it off because he actually, as far as I remember, he actually can speak French fluently. Um, yes, he was an interpreter, if I recall correctly. Thought he was an interpreter in Japan, right? Because I also think he speaks Japanese as well. Um, yeah, he is like very multi- multilingual. Right, right, and and so I think he's able to pull it off, and I, I think that helps um, makes it make it sound as convincing as it does. Um, Xanthi, I don't know her background with French um, because because Xanthi's obviously she's a, she's Asian, and so it's kind of it's an interesting choice as far as. Uh, the casting is concerned. Um, I think it sounds cute, and I think it sounds very sort of je ne sais quoi, if that is the right uh, my, my French is horrible, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh... It's, it's, better than, it's better than mine, because like I said, my, my French is all Eiffel Tower baguette. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but no, I, I enjoy it just fine. Um, and I especially enjoy when she interacts with uh, with Jing later on, uh, especially in the hot spring. That was a lot of fun right there, and um, and and her playing off of AJ and drinking him under or TJ and drinking him under the table was was really hilarious. Um, yeah, it was it was really good overall. And then Blake McNamara as Seth Rich Cutter, he just has this sort of uppityness to him, like he's the kind of guy. He's the kind of guy, he's that guy in Ghostbusters who, no matter how bad things get, is constantly trying to blame everything on them. Up until... Is he the mayor? He's not the mayor. He's the uh, district attorney guy. The EPA guy. Yeah. Uh, Walter Peck. Right. This man has no dick. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's true. This man has no yeah. dick. He kind, of, he kind of gave me that kind of vibe, like this naughty uppity businessman, but not nearly as bad because he does make a face turn at the end when uh, when everything is sort of going south. But um, just watching him go from this this uh, pompous, arrogant uh, business type to the show's uh, butt monkey, as you will, um, was really, really ro- rather funny and, and and refreshing. So. I think he did a fair good, fairly good job. All right, uh, Amon, go ahead. I want to. I need to hear the casting. For <clears throat> so, uh, so this was this was a little bit tricky. This is. This, I, I I like what I picked. This is a little bit more of a grab bag. But for Al Leon, he he's he's fancy. He's an aristocrat of sorts. And you know who's in Cannonball Run? Roger Moore, originally supposed to be playing a deranged aristocrat who thinks he's James Bond, but when they could not secure the rights to use that name, they had him play a deranged aristocrat who thinks he is James Bond actor Roger Moore, which I find very funny. <laughs> Wait, so they got him to play himself but crazy? But no, they, they got him to play an aristocrat who thinks he's Roger Moore. Oh my god. <laughs> this movie's great. Would you believe the guy who wrote this movie was a professional, like, uh, race car writer, like, a journalist? That's what he did in his day job? It's great. Uh, he also invented the race that Cannonball Run's based on, because that is based on a real thing people did. Anyhow. Uh, for Sophia Taylor, there aren't too many prominent women in this movie, because the 70s, but you know who isn't? Farrah Fawcett. And that amuses me, so Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> 
Look, it's her it's her or the two stacked blondes who are another set of racers. Adria Barbeau would probably be fine, but let's go with Farrah Fawcett. We like her. And uh her Seth Rich Cutter. Because he is he is the closest to obvious comic relief here, this is where Dom DeLuise goes. If only for the scene where he sneaks around in a barrel with a giant green hat on. <laughs> Anyways, back to actual actors. Let me see. Uh I generally don't have a lot of um, particular critiques to go with accent work. I cannot distinguish an actual accent from a from a bad imitation of one unless I have to. Uh, but as far as I can tell, like, a Brandon and Xanthi, I think, do a very good job of sounding credible. Like, I, I was not distracted. They didn't sound too over the top. Uh, and I thought they did really good. I thought they, st they turned in a nice performance. I thought Brandon just did a good job of making Al seem very much like, you know... I... I... How do I put this? Mm, yes. I am from France. I, 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 I'm not I drink your blood? Accent. I'm not going <laughs> to... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the camera girl. I'll eat her later. <laughs> Brandon's job of playing just like, you know, he, he, he gives him the right little of like little Lord Frontenroyness to the character that I think is, is appropriate. Uh, you know, he just, he plays him very well. He makes him kind of ridiculous while still feeling like an actual person. Uh, so, you know, when he's very ups, you know, when Sophie has been kidnapped and he's very upset about it, it doesn't come off as, like, cartoonish. It's like, oh, yeah, no, this is bad. And uh, I think Xanthi just plays Sophia really well. She just has a... She just hits that fine line of being like, she's very regal and refined, and she can also drink you under the table. And she knows that, and she's okay with showing that off if she has to. Uh... I think my favorite part is actually when they show up, um, when they show, when they show up for, um, Jing's race, and I initially thought their suitcase was gonna have, like, a giant pile of money they were going to bet on it, but no, it's a tea set. Yeah, I thought that too, I was like, oh, well, this didn't go where I thought it was. Yeah, it's just like, it's like, oh. <laughs> oh, I see. It's just like, <laughs> they're great. Uh, and I, I also like Black Lake as, um, Seth, just because I thought he did a really good job of making him seem both really uptight, but you can see the, like, underlying bitterness of, like, I had hopes and dreams once. <laughs> I liked having hopes and dreams, but not in this industry, I guess. And I, was, I, was just, but I also like that he got his, his moment towards the end where he's like, you know what, being a manager sucks. Let's, let's build some fucking cars, guys. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> My passion's been reignited through strength and perseverance. Yeah. Anything else I wanted to add? No, just... Blake's, Blake's good, I think, and I think Brandon and Xanthi just play off each other really well. Like, you can really get a sense of, like, their characters' camaraderie just from the way they talk to each other. Like, it's really, it's really cute. It's like, ah, oh, look at them, they're nice. I know they're not a couple, but it's kind of like, hey, I hope these two kids succeed in whatever it is they're setting out to do. You're good. I'm done. Okay. All right, and Patrick, uh, round up this group. Sure. Um, let's see here. Who do I want to start with? Um, I guess I'll just do Al and Sophia together. Um, you know, like Gaumon, I probably couldn't tell a proper French accent from Oh, Baguette. Kind of, kind of deal. So, it, it was fine. Um, that being said, like, I really did sort of get an aristocratic feel out of Brandon's performance, particularly. Um, Xanthi's actually felt a little more down to earth, which is sort of, it fits with her character's background where she's sort of, uh, she's the son, uh, 
bleh, 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 bleh. she's the daughter of um of workers for Al's family, and she's just basically a a chaperone for him. Like she has a little bit more of a middle class background, is what I'm trying to get at here. Um, yeah, so they actually the accents themselves felt very appropriate for the sort of Al's more noble upbringing and. Sophia's sort of more humble origins. Um, but they're also great. They're they're absolutely adorable while they're on screen. And then um, Brandon actually gets some really cool moments out of Al uh, later on after Sophia gets kidnapped. And it, it's just really good. I, I really enjoyed them both. I, I hope to hear Xanthi and more Funimation stuff down the road. Um, like, in particular, like, her getting cast in this is what really kind of made me think of the, the dub from home era of, of dubs as sort of like, hey, this has the potential to be really cool. Because you can... You can pull people from various dubbing regions in, and, like, it sounds like they're all coming down to Texas to, to do this thing. It's great. Uh, and now, Blake McNamara. God, he plays the butt monkey so well. Like, it, it's just... He he is the butt of every joke in this show. In, in the latter half, and it's just... It's an absolute blast, and trying to be all cool and serious in the first half was also really great. Um, I really don't have too, too much more to say beyond that for this group, but I I think this trio was very solid. Alright, awesome. Uh, that's everybody, so let's move on to uh, our next set of characters who... I, I, I guess I'm going to put them because they are Team Opera's best friend and another member of Team Opera, but they're not the main original pair. They are Jing Jaline and Hotato. Uh, Jaline is a Chinese-American uh, woman who works at the local racetrack in LA who basically gets to deal with 1930s sexism. And racism. Uh, she does. <laughs> and racism. Yes. Because women can't drive. People don't want to watch women drivers. And I, I will admit that she, she earns her place to drive. And, like, the one actual gripe I have with the show is she totally should have been the one who actually got to punk out, punch out the sexist dude who tried to knock her off the track. Like, she should have been the one to get that punch in. But beggars can't be choosers. Uh, she's a literal one-woman army. As she says, uh, I'm not the band. I'm the entire show. <laughs> Which is the oh, best one-liner, so the best ass-kicking one-liner. And Hotato is a Native American boy who his father was killed by Gil's snake gang and they lost their land and all their horses. He's out for revenge but learns that revenge isn't really something that you should be going to look for. Uh, and then eventually they also ac he also gets kidnapped at one point by, uh, by the Bad Brothers. Which leads to the scene of uh, Kosame finding a prairie dog that he also calls Hotato. And when he calls his name, they both turn their heads. 
And like, you're all going to laugh is like, oh, people don't do this. I'd like to point out that my aunt and my, my aunt has a cat named Cody. And my younger half brother is also named Cody. So they have Cody cat and Cody kid. <laughs> and the cat came a long time before the child. Um, this this might this might be worse than when my grandmother would sometimes call my uncle by the dog's name by accident. <laughs> Keep on, I think she I think she did this for a while after the dog passed, so it's not like there's a reason to make that mistake. <laughs> Maybe that's what she really thought of your uncle. No, she loved my uncle. Okay, good. No, I I I feel really bad because sometimes I still I still go, hey Maka, and she's oh, not there. Anyway. I'm so sorry about that. I've I call Bailey. I've accidentally called Bailey Ma. What's worse is sometimes we call her Bandit, and Bandit is a dog that I haven't had in ten years, oh. and we loved him too. Uh, anyway, playing uh, Jean Jaline, uh Jilan is Susie Young, and playing Kotato is Emmy Lowe. Susie Young knows characters such as. Fumi uh, Futagawa in Assault Lily Bouquet, Cha-Cha in Superheroes, and Kaban in Kimono Friends. I mean, low you'll know his characters such as Ichi Tanaka in As- Assault Lily Bouquet, Rako Yumiya in A Certain Scientific Rail Gun Tea, and Asano Izumi in Kono Ototomare, The Sounds of Life. Uh, Patch, I went first last time. Uh, Patrick, go ahead. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to start with Emmy Lowe. Um, one thing that really impressed me about her performance is Hotato. Um, compared to other things I've heard her in, like Assault Lily Bouquet, for example, um, I got a very Monkey D. Luffy vibe off of Hotato's performance. Like... Emmy Lowe hit that register and like it, it sounded a lot like and and not particularly calling Clinkenbeard's Luffy, um it felt sort of like a combination between hers and the original Japanese. And I thought that was really impressive. Um just the more serious side of Luffy, I should I should have that little disclaimer there um but i i love that emmy just plays him as sort of a um like he starts out as a little ball of angry and over the course of the show uh mellows out like i think the standout for him is actually the um the day off episode where they all go to the hot springs like they're they're all relaxing and all that and uh and Tristan keeps yeeting him into the hot spring. Like it it, it was just so good. Um And then TJ it's just like getting yeeted into the hot spring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> TJ's like me next. But it's also great. Um what's also great is the um the fight he's involved in in the the big climactic scene in the ghost town um where him and Tristan are fighting against the one guy and before and before Tristan you know knocks him into the walls and Tex Avery's him like Hotato actually gets some decent shots in and it's great i 
I actually really like Emilo's performance as as Hotato. Um, just because she gets the, the progression of the character down really well. Um, and Susie's Jing, uh, I, I also happen to really enjoy this. Um, this is actually my first exposure to Susie Young as a, as a voice actress. Um, I have not had a chance to see Kimono Friends yet, so... Um, something I definitely look forward to when later months when I actually manage to pick up a copy... If Discotech can keep it in print long enough for me to find one. Uh, not a dig against Discotech, you know. It, it's just, it is what it is. Mm. Anyway. Uh, do, 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 do. Stand out for her. You know what? I'm also going to say that the fight in the ghost town. The, um, I'm not the marching band, I'm the whole damn show line was just absolute chef kiss. Um, she's... She's strong. She's very capable. And I think Susie gets that across really well. Uh, so very solid thumbs up for the both of them. Alright, awesome. Uh, Amon? Alright. <clears throat> so. Find, finding dumb stunt casting for Hototo is difficult because Cannonball Run has neither Native American people nor children. Uh, so I decided, hey, what would be funny? And I thought, hey... Sefi sports commentator Jimmy the Greeks in this movie. <laughs> what? Let's have Hototo be played by a 60-year-old Greek man. That'd be hilarious. What? Are you fucking kidding it's me? It's a small role, but yes, I, he shows up. I already know who you've picked out for Jing. I oh, already oh, know. Oh, God, guys, guys, I hope you're sitting comfortably. <laughs> Let me swallow this water and brace myself. Let me know. I'm good. All right. So, so Roots, you good? once I decided yeah, on this, there was only one possible person who could possibly play Jing, and that is Jackie Chan. What? <laughs> so, Jackie Chan didn't become big in America until Rumble in the Bronx, but that's because he had spent 15 years trying to break in, and Cannonball Run was one of those. They even designed a set piece so he could have a fight with somebody just so he can show off. Okay. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> Holy it's literally shit. that image of the guy going, throwing his hands up and going, sure. <laughs> I guess. I guess. <laughs> I was, I'm going to be real with you. <laughs> Knowing that this is Cannonball Run and that this is a movie from the 70s, I thought this was about to take a I mean, they are technically supposed to be, he's technically supposed to be playing a Japanese guy, so it does get racist, don't get me wrong. Oh, of course it does. <laughs> I mean, it's the 70s. Back to actual actors. Uh, I enjoyed Emmy's uh, performance as Hototo. I think she, she does a good job of capturing... Hototo, as it's shown, is very, like, smart and capable, and he is also 10. And I thought she just, I think she did a good job, especially when he is talking about why he is so angry, just making it feel very authentic in the sense of, like, he, he has gone through horrible things, but that his, the way he expresses that anger feels appropriate for, like, you know, what, a 10, 12-year-old kid, basically. Um, like, if it, <laughs> I felt very, it, it just, it felt very authentic. It's also interesting that, like, obviously, there's not a lot of Native American people in anime, and when they do show up, it's often not terribly sensitive. Uh, so it was interesting to have one where the component is basically like, you killed my dad, also you stole our land, fuck you. 
Uh, yeah, up, up in Ranman says uh, Native American rights, I guess. That's nice. Uh, I, th I thought Emmy just did. Each, she she gave just a good, strong performance as kind of you know this this you know complicated, angry little kid who wants who just wants so much that he can't get. Uh, but you know, and, and I also like a lot of his relationship with um, Kosume, both in the sense that they like bristle against each other so much initially, and then there's that development of like, yeah, no, we 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 know what we're going through better than we think. Uh, it's just nice. Like I like I like that that little unit stuck together. They're they're fun. Uh, and Susie's great as Jing. She just, just a just a absolute powerhouse. Both uh, partially because Jing gets some of the best fights in the show. That one with the knife lady in like the second to last episode. That's some that's some good fighting right there. Uh, and so she's I don't know. She does a good job of just showing that it's like yeah, this character like has to deal with a lot of nonsense because she is like a woman in like the late eighteen hundreds, I guess. I'm not sure exactly when this is supposed to be set, given the. Obvious anachronisms. Uh, Jace does a good job of being like, yeah, no, Jing is like probably the toughest person in the room half the time. <laughs> she is, she's not someone you want to mess with. Uh, and that 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 bit about you know, what is it? I'm not the band on the whole party. It's like, yeah, no, that's. I'm the whole show. I'm the whole show. That's a good. That's a good line. Tough, yeah, just, it is. Mm, just yeah. Uh, good. Just a good time. This is what I love about this show so much. It's like, if you ask me who's the best part, it's like, I don't fucking know. Everything works so well in tandem. Highlighting a specific performance feels impossible because that would just imply everything else isn't also firing on all cylinders. Like, no, this is... What a well-oiled machine. What's the best part? Yes. <laughs> exactly. There we go. Oh, yes. Anyways, uh, th these are great. I'm very happy with them. I'm done. My turn? Yep. Okay. Uh, concerning these two, one of my favorite scenes in the show uh, is when they're all convening and talking about how they're going to go attack uh, attack Gil's gang and get Sophia back. And Seth is like, I don't think we should have to worry. You know, I don't think we're going to be very good with a woman and a child. And then I think Jing, like, breaks a board with her leg and, and she kicks uh, a barrel she kicks a barrel and then hototo sends an arrow almost across his cheek and they're like what <laughs> what about a woman and a child like these two are both can take care of themselves and i thought that was a really cool moment um but anyways uh i'm not too these these two actresses are still very very new and they're not too, uh, I haven't had too much experience with them. Um, I think the only thing I have really know about Emmy Lowe before this was her Twitter cosplay, where she had a very nice Tifa outfit. Um, her she has good cosplays, anyways. Uh, but hearing her as Hototo play this little boy character, I think she, I think she kind of has the whole little boy down because we use a lot. You have a lot of actresses. Uh, like adult females who to play younger male characters and um and i i think she gave hototo a lot of spunk and a lot of humanity and uh and he does mellow out as the show goes along as he becomes closer to kosame and even closer to tristan and the rest of the racers 
And um, I think she gives him this 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 sort of brash personality. And um, I, I really think she did a good job. Um, Susie Young, I think I got kind of a little bit vibes uh, like like when Christina V or Christina Valenzuela plays sort of her lower range. I kind of that's what the kind of vibe I got from Susie for this particular role. Um, I think that it was very appropriate that they cast an Asian actress to play this Asian character because it uh, it, it was it added a, a certain level of authenticity to it. I think that she was able to she was able to bring more of a um, a personal performance to Jing's character. And, um, and yeah, I think that she was just, she was one of my favorite characters on the show. And the fact that they gave her her own sort of little mini arc as to, uh, proving herself to be just as good as everyone else. I, I really, I really like that about the show. So I think they were both good. Awesome. Thanks Hardy. And then, Am I the only one who has to go? I think you're. I think you're the one who's done. Patrick, did you go? Yeah, I was first. Thank you. <laughs> Megan is very tight. Uh, I want to start talking about the uh, with Jing first. Uh, uh, one of the things you noted that was that uh, you were very happy that Caitlin got uh, an Asian American actress. Even more so, she got a Chi- uh, Susie is Chinese American. Nice. Hey. Um, I, I know this because, uh, the Chinese, uh, Donghua called The Legend of Hay is getting a release in the United States and the entire, and the majority English cast for that is, uh, Chinese American, including Emmy Lowe, mm-hmm. uh, who is also in that, along with characters, uh, along with, uh, Alex Lee, Howard Wang, KG Tang, and, uh, Kayla Bien mm-hmm. are all in that, uh, which, uh, that is a movie and that is hopefully going to come out before Summer's Movies next year and... Look forward to it. Look forward mm-hmm. to it, potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, also look forward to uh, another Donghua that's getting a dub next year that I am very excited about. Get That is getting a dub. And I'm hoping that the other one gets picked up in the winter because this Japanese dub is coming to Japan in the winter. Um, so, that being said, I absolutely love Susie and this performance. It is... Oh, God, it's such a stacked year, though. <laughs> her performances <laughs> and she's really good she's one of the most solid members of this cast from the second that she speaks you are immediately invested in her performance and like i know there's a lot of people who would roll their eyes at like her girl power arc and it's like oh why do we need this and that and let's be real as much as i love anime there are a lot of really shitty written women in anime still um so having having her arc be treated as seriously as like Kosume and Apare's arc is and Hotato's and having it that at the end that she like when they're in the final battle and she takes on the other girl to which boy howdy uh, where she calls her a tramp too she calls her a cheap tramp uh by the end of that where she's like I'm the I'm the whole show I like that opera as a show never had it that 
she needed to be saved. Like, Sophia, I, I do kind of wish was never made the damsel, but I understand it more. But the fact that she was considered to be as strong as the guys, if not stronger than some of them. Like, the fact of it is, when she let go of that stick, she fucking Super Saiyan powered up for a minute. It's like, I'm not in here, you're not in here with, I'm not stuck in here with you, you're stuck in here with me. It's like, oh, this stra- this staff isn't meant to make me stronger, it's meant to hold my powers back. Back. <laughs> Pretty much. And I love the fact that even when Al and her are on the train, it is very clearly that she, uh, that she's the co- more competent fighter than Al is. And I love that Susie, uh, she has those moments of frustration in her voice because like, Listen, if you've ever been in a field where it's like, you can't be into this because this is a man's world and men aren't going to be able to get invested in the story of a woman being a driver, they're not going to want to live their dream. God, I love that the show becomes such a call out of that bullshit at points. And in a general thing of you don't, other people don't decide your fate. Like... I love that this show basically said, you know what? Fuck it. You're going to do the race and everyone's going to read about you and get into you. You get to make your story. And like, this is just me being a girl anime fan or at least an anime fan that identifies as female. I have encountered so many guys who refuse to watch certain anime because it's for women and they can't see themselves in those characters. But meanwhile, me as a girl, I've had to see myself through so many male-written and male-gaze stories. i That's why I love Jilan, Jilinaj's character. And I'm sorry, I'm probably mispronouncing this so much, I'm getting better at trying to pronounce Chinese names. I think that as a, a female character in anime, I love the fact that, like, she's pretty, but she's never, like... Her tits aren't in your face. She's not bent over awkwardly. Even when they have the scene in the hot spring, she's very modestly put up. Like, the guys are show Like, the naked, like, coming out naked in front of the other genders thing isn't the two girls. It's the two dudes. And it's a cultural thing. Not a ha-ha horny thing. Like, that's what- And I love that they got somebody to put such, like, a power and a presence to this because- she doesn't sound unsure of herself unless the character has to be. But once she knows what she wants to do, Susie never lets up with like this kind of power and gravitas in her voice. Like she's there. She is this character to me. Like I've, and I watched the show, at least the first three episodes in the sub. I do prefer her more as uh, Jing than I do the, the save for it, honestly. Yeah, I appreciate how the only real fan service you get from her is her tummy. I mean, that's... That's it. That's it, And yeah. even then, it's not even, like... It's not even that big of a deal. Because half the time, she's in her car. <laughs> and you don't even see it. And they don't, like, have guys... Like, all the male characters don't stare at her. Uh, Only the bad guys in this show, like, give her shit for being a woman. A woman. Mm-hmm. Like... TJ never thinks that she's, like, Dylan, TJ, uh, Al, uh, the, the, the boys, they never think that she's lesser, or neither do Kosume or Opere. She's just another racer. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. and they all believe in her because she's a good racer and she deserves her chance. 
And I love the scene uh, where she, they, all the idiot asshole guys bet that she's not even going to get three laps around. And Kosume just whips out his, all of the money he has, puts it down and says she's going to get around ten times. And she does. And the only reason she lost was because the guy pussied out and cheated. And even then, I love that they went out of the, like, the show says, it's like, no, you didn't lose because you were a bad driver. You were the better driver. He, you only lost because he basically pulled a dick move. And if you were a lesser driver, you would have killed yourself. But anyway, that's like, I love her arc and I love her character and I love her performance. And Emmy's as Hototo really impressed me. Uh, again, I only know, I know Emmy because I've watched, I, I have, I've watched Kimono Friends and she's the, the, the otter in that. And it sounds really girly and cutesy. And I watched Smile Down the Runway where she's pretty feminine in that. And then having her do a little boy and be very convincing for the first time I've heard her play a little boy was great. I think that she is, Emmy's another actress that I think a lot of people need to start having on their radar. Um, we said that for Susie last year and look at this year where Susie's kind of popping up everywhere. Emmy is another actress that I think should be on a lot of people's list. Um, she gets Hotito's arc down so well. My only issue is that I do wish that there- I don't know the audition process for this. I do wish that there was a native actor that could have played this character. But I understand that that might be a little bit harder, especially in this this time, to make sure that they have it set up. Yeah. But Emmy still does a rock star performance. She's absolutely great. And I think one of my other things is that I think I love her when she gets to do snarky hotato. And where Sophia calls her him a little boy, and Kosume is like, "Oh well, when Sophia does it, and he just she just goes, well, yeah, because that's just Sophia." It's like it's okay when she does it because she's not a patronizing asshole to me. <laughs> um, so you guys have kind of already nailed a lot about like what's so good about the Hototo performance. I also really like when he does get to sound, start sounding like a little kid. Also, super shout out to the fact that Kosame, by the end of the show, is like opening the window, holding him still, and letting him shoot. <laughs> um, just like, fuck it. You're a part of the team now. Uh, so, I I love it. And I love when he started, like, when he cries and he he's vulnerable. And it just, I, I really, just, you guys said a lot of things, so I don't want to, like, overstate your points. So let's move on to our final group of characters. Our our sun and our 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 clear weather and our storm. Apare Serrano and Kosame Ishiki. Apare is the titular Apare of the show. He is an eccentric inventor who's the second son of a merchant family who's kind of when you originally meet him, he's in jail for destroying shit. And uh Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets Pretty out much. and then they're in Japan. He's he kind of I think I think he would remind a lot of people of Senku from Dr. Stone. It's kind of the easiest person to like kind of be like, "Hey, he's kind of like Senku." Mm. But he's also not. He he goes on this journey and he learns to become I think a little bit more human. And then Kosume is goes from being an uptight like traditional man to to kind of overcoming a lot of fears in his past life and letting loose and becoming a better person and by the end of the show i think kosume and opera are like the best bash brothers of all time like they're such good bros mm -hmm. all right so playing opera is lee george and playing kosume is ivan hasa 
Uh, Lee, you'll know as characters such as Ikuya, uh, Kirishima in Free Dive to the Future, Mordred in Radiant, and Toe Aino in Smile Down the Runway. Yvonne, you'll know as characters such as Bernardo Dion in Goro the Animation, uh, Jean Alkins in Alderaman on the Sky, and Kosuke Kyuga in Prince of Stride Alternative. And I'd actually like to go first for this. Um, okay. So, yeah. I'll start off with uh, Kosume and Yvonne. I think that I, I going into this was like, oh, dude, it's it's the guy with the long flowy hair from Prince of Stride as one of the seven people who watched that. Um, I say that is a joke. Uh, I know people watch Prince of Stride. It's it's actually a pretty fun, it's a pretty fun anime. Um, so I, I kind of knew Yvonne's performance and then you guys all watched Radiant. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you guys yeah. are all... I know Hardy's like Hardy and Rich are like the two really big fans of Radiant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was actually really surprised to hear him be Kosame, and I uh, know originally a lot of people heard him and they're like, "Why is he so stiff?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's not that bad." Like this character at the beginning is clearly very like traditional. Like he is very much like ingrained in his life. He is the past, um, and I believe his. Uh, uh, Kosame Seiyu actually complimented him at one point, too. Which, yeah, all you people who are like, oh, Japanese people must hate dubs, just just stop. Um, mm-hmm. But I think as the series went on, Ivan really... I'm sorry, Ivan really impressed me. He got a lot of Kosame's heart down. Because Kosame is a much more complicated character than he is just kind of like the goofy dad that has been thrust onto this adventure and he's just like take it safe where you eventually come to learn that he is deeply traumatized from his past and he understands kind of what Hototo is going through and I think the scenes that really got me that Hivan nailed like with his diction and his presence and this warmth that he gives Kosame as Kosame has started to let himself kind of go and get into this race as the series goes on, is when uh, the first time they break down in Al and Jing uh, tow them, and he's talking to Apare about how humans aren't machines. And how they they do irrational things because that's what it is. Um, when he tells Hotato not to kill the guy, because uh, Hotato doesn't deserve blood on his hands at such a young age, got me. I started to I, I didn't cry to that scene, but I got pretty emotional. And then obviously he nails when Kosume's got the shot wound and stuff. And I think that he also nails the comedic aspects of Kosume really well. Because there's a lot of time where Kosume has to be like the straight man of the butt monkey. But I think the delivery of, I guess that's American comedy as it finishes out the show was just super <laughs> yeah. good. And just, I think he, by the end of it, I think it was genuinely really impressive. I know a lot of people talk about a lot about this dub, but I don't see, I think, Yvonne getting as much appreciation uh, for his performance as a lot of other people got this year. And then Apre, Lee, I said it a lot in Smile Down the Runway that from where I got to know Lee George to now, he has done a complete 180 in my mind. And Abre, I think, is even more of that than uh, Toe was in Smile. And and before I go on to that, I would just like to point out that I I think the moment I realized I was going to love this show is when Abre does a speech t- 
to Kosume when Kosume finds the book that he brought with him. And that is Jewel Verne's from, uh, from the Earth to the Moon. And Lee has this beautiful speech that he does as Apare, where he talks about going beyond the ocean, beyond the star, and going to the moon. And, like, this is my own background, essentially. Uh, I was a film studies major in college. And let me tell you that when you are a film studies major in college, you get to learn a lot about something called A Trip to the Moon by uh, George Méliès. Uh, yeah, that's what that movie which- Hugo was based on, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is based on George, uh, From the Earth to the Moon, the book that Opera has. Um, it's it's one of the earliest uh, films in the world, actually. At least with a, a story. Um, but I also like to point out that of all things, there actually used to be a From the Earth to the Moon reference at Disney. Really? Specifically. Uh, Yes, specifically, um, there the version of Space Mountain in Disneyland Paris was originally called um, uh, Space Mountain from the Earth to the Moon, and it was the only Space Mountain that actually has a launch in it. Like you would actually look like you were getting shot out of a cannon going into space, uh, and it had a beautiful soundtrack. And of course, it's defunct. And actually, I would highly suggest you actually watch the Defunct Land video on it. Because that's how I learned about that. Uh, so if you ever want a good time, uh, one, watch Defunkland because it's a fantastic YouTube channel. Uh, and two, he has a video on that. <laughs> but back to Lee. Lee's performance as Opera is so, I think, well done and layered. Because Opera where he starts out and Opera where he ends is such a really good character arc. Where he goes from being this guy who believes in machine, doesn't really have any real sense of empathy for others... But by the end of it, he's doing these irrational things. He's doing uh, things for other people. He genuinely has a bond with the other people around him in his life. And he's happy. He's not kind of... Because when you first meet Opera, there's this real sense of like loneliness and isolation about him. Because nobody respects him. Nobody likes that he tinkers with things and causes messes and stuff. But as he does this race, he meets people that genuinely do care about him. And they think that his talents are good. And I think to me, the thing that really got me was when Ko- Kosume, he thinks that Kosume is going to die. And Opera kind of loses it finally. And the moment, that, and a lot of people will point to the very end where he's in the rain and he's crying and he's yelling at it that like, that's the moment that really clicked for him. I think the moment that actually got me. Uh, in that performance and I, I really like the performance all the way through is when they all get back to the camp and Al is asking him when he's going to fix the car and Opera tells him that uh, there's no point in it he's just being selfish and playing with his toys and as somebody who's had depressive breakdowns and stuff before I've had that feeling and I think that Lee's performance really does get that out because it is a very distressing and real feeling that I don't think a lot of people know how to actually put through but somehow Lee got it. And I don't know what he pulled from, but it it works really well. And I would like to say that the other thing I missed totally at the beginning about Ivan, uh, Ivan is when he wakes up from being shot and he's got the transfusion and Opera is kind of still depressed. And he tells Opera that there's no way that Gil could win because 
look at the technology of the blood transfusion. Gil thinks that violence could take everything away, but people like Gil can never understand that technology and people like Opera who make things to help people will always be the one to push forward and get over the violence. They may think that their things aren't really helping, but at the end of the day, they are. And that compassion and that desire to build a better future, to connect with others, is actually very helpful and stuff. Also, be they grapple a train with a car, and that's fucking badass. <laughs> yeah. Also, Caitlin, I heard you. I totally know that was Jerry Jewell as the conductor in the Chicago station. <laughs> was that him? Everybody heard that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone heard that, right? Like, I know what you're doing, Caitlin. I see you, and I respect that. Uh, let's go with Amon next. <clears throat> so. Okay, give us the two characters. Two to, to conclude my dumb gimmick, I'm going to cheat a little bit, because I was looking at the cast, and I'm like, I don't know who I'd put at these two. So I decided I wanted to highlight the people without whom Cannonball Run would not have happened. Uh, Cannonball Run uh, was written by a guy named Brock Yates, who was the guy who started the actual race that it's partially based on, which is a big long shot across the United States. He mostly wrote about, like, racing as a living. Uh, and it was directed by his buddy, stuntman, actor, all-around good guy, Partial basis for Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hal Needham. God rest his soul. I miss him. You know what? Hal Needham's a cool dude. You don't go from being, like, uh, Burt Reynolds' stuntman to being the guy who's directing in movies because you got nothing. So you know what? Don't you play these two, because they're in the movie briefly. They have uh, some cameo appearances. So I think they count. Nice. Also, I think if they had lived long enough, I think they would have absolutely dug this movie. They seem like the kind of guys who are like, it's about racing cars, about how cars are great. And one of them's a boat. Yeah. <laughs> one yes. of them definitely would have. Hal Needham absolutely. I've seen some Hal Needham's movies. He would have been super into that. It's like, it's a car, it's a boat? That's genius. Why didn't I think of that? I mean, this is this movie, the car that our two main leads are racing is a damn ambulance of all things. It's true. Yes. I make no joke. This you, Out of all the high-powered, uh, super fast race cars they could have picked, they pick an ambulance. Wait, what? Yes. They, so, the race they're engaging in is very illegal, so to help cover their tracks, they're driving around in an ambulance. In the hopes that if they get pulled over, they'll be like, Doc, we gotta get these people to the hospital, you can't pull us over. And they'll just let them go. Yeah. And also, ambulances are actually very fast. They have to be. It's true. Considering how size they are. <laughs> do you know what the Japanese... Sorry, do you know what the German word for ambulance is? Uh, I do not, but I think you're going to tell me. Krankenwagen! Krankenwagen! <laughs> oh, I love you, German. <laughs> Wonderful language. Um, so, back to the actual actors. These two are Wonderful. Um, uh, Ivan, Ivan's just really good. I think he, he, he just, he does, he does, he, he plays Kasume so well. He, he just has to go through a lot of range, I feel like. You know, he spends a lot of the show being, if not the comic relief, at least kind of like, the guy who wishes what was going on was a little more serious and dignified and just has to put up with the fact that it's not and it's never going to be. Uh, just that, that scene and I think the top of episode three where he realizes... Hey, wait, we can sell the car for money. <laughs> we don't need to engage in this stupid race at all. And he runs, he, he almost quits his job. He runs all the way back to garage only to find that Op, Opera has already completely dismantled the car to better understand how it works. And he just 
trudges back to serving coffee to people in a diner. Uh, he, I, he just he has just a good strong performance. He's he's just, I just he seems really thoughtful. Like he feels like he could be just like an uh, you know an annoying stick in the mud, and instead he's very much a guy who feels a lot of compassion and empathy for people, even if he doesn't always know how to like communicate that. Uh, like I said earlier, I really liked his uh, relationship with Hotuto. I thought he and Emily played that really, really well. Especially, like, his, his relationship with Apare, where you can see that there's... As much as Apare annoys him, there is a deep, sincere affection. Uh, if anything were to ha happen to Apare, he would clearly be upset about that. That's not something he wants to see actually happen. Uh, what else? Yeah, just, like, yeah, a lot of what Megan said, just, like, a lot of his... Like, I also liked his speech in, like, the hospital when he's talking about... How, you know, Gil doesn't understand how, you know, he only understands violence and that's that's his failing. It's just a good performance. And Lee George's opera. I'm gonna take this as a note, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna say this to note one of my favorite gags in the show is because at some point during this I was wondering, are they gonna make an Edison joke at some point? <laughs> yeah. And they did, and it not only did they, it was better than I could have expected. <laughs> Just, I, I don't know who they got to play Edison, but just to, just Apare walking out after having said that, of, that line. I kind of low-key hope it was Chris Guerrero again. <laughs> and there are, like, at least a couple of people who understand what that is a joke about. And just, just Apare just giving giving that line about, you know, it's, like, you know, 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration or whatever it is. I'm walking out and then Edison's just watching him and his assistant comes and like, sir, are you alright? And he's just like, get me a pen. I think it's like an actual Edison quote he said. And oh no, like... he no no they they absolute straight up imply that like the most famous quote I think Edison ever said he also stole from someone else. Yeah, I that's mean, delightful. It wouldn't be the I I I I too appreciate jokes that Edison sucks. Go Tesla. <laughs> uh, that was but I'll... Nikolai Tesla, not you, Elon. Go fuck yourself. Go to hell, Elon. Um, <laughs> but I. For, for that part, Lee, Lee George is great as operator. For that part, that whole bit where he's just wandering around, not really paying attention to anything, thinking about what he's going to do, and realizes too late that he is being he's riding along on a goat. I think it was a donkey. It was a donkey. Just riding along on a donkey and just gets yeeted right through a front door and just picks himself up. None the worse for wear. I got a car. Oh to man, fix. I love Modazushi. <laughs> I, he, I really just like how he's able to... I like I like the arc that Opera goes through. Opera initially is very... Like, he's so... He's very mono-focused. And he's generally pretty okay with that. Like, he's he's fine. He's gonna build his boat. He's gonna go somewhere. He doesn't really care about the family business. He's fine with that. Uh, and then, you know, as time goes on, as things get a little more dire, when push comes to shove, he kind of... You know, you can tell that, like, he, does, he doesn't hate people. He's just bad at interacting with them. And when he realized he comes sort of the, when the realizations come along that he might lose someone, like not just like oh I'll be away and they'll be at home and I'll probably come back at some point, just like he's gonna lose somebody like that really tears him up. Uh, and I think he, I think he just does a good job of playing that arc of like kind of realizing internally how much he values other people and what that means to him. Uh, like I think and I think he also does a good job making operate sound. Like, like, you know, like an oddball who's really into something very specific without making him sound too, like, inhuman or flat. Like, you know, Op Opera comes off as, like, you know, very, as a quirky, eccentric dude, but also, like, an actual quirky, eccentric dude who you might know. 
uh, give or take a steam-powered car. <laughs> I can't believe he built a hybrid in the 1880s. That's great. <laughs> I just watch. It's like, is this where this started? Did someone think up this joke and just decide, I need to build a show around this joke. This is too good to pass up. Um, yeah, just, I, I, George is real. He really... Uh, now, Lee, uh... I think this is. I think the show like everything fires in all cylinders, but I do think like if Opera doesn't come off as a like a, a believable person, I feel like a lot of the show can fall flat because then it's just like we're just watching some infallible genius do stuff, and that can get really boring after a while. And I think Lee does a really good job of bringing a lot of humanity to Opera and still maintaining what his character actually is. You know, up until you know up until the very end, where he's kind of like you know. You know, I, I can't go back to Japan. The future is here. This is where I need to be. I'm going to build a plane. Uh, you know, be... Exactly. Yeah. It's got to go to space. Space. Uh, you know what? I, the I like one place whole... that, that <laughs> capitalism can never catch me. Space. Oh. Thank you, Command and Conquer 2. Um... Was it? Yeah, and I especially like his little speech at the end where he thinks Kosume is going to go back to Japan, which, you know, understandable, that's been his whole goal the whole time, and just how, you know, he's not going to try and stop him, but he's going miss to the, miss the hell out of him. It was, just so, it was just such a sweet moment to end on. Yeah, like, these, like, I, I love everything about this dub, but, like, I think these these two, you know, they're, they're the leads, at least nominally, uh, and these are the performances where if they're not good, like, I think a lot of the show suffers for it, and I think they both did a fantastic job. I really, I was really happy with listening to both of them. Alright, let's go with Hardy. Yay, it's my turn. Uh, I actually am having, gonna have some, uh, potentially controversial, uh, opinions. Uh, initially, if you can believe it. When I first listened to Yvonne Hasso as Kosame... Here's the thing with Ivan Hasso is he has a very noticeable accent. Um, and a lot of times it works to his benefit, sometimes to his detriment, because it is a very noticeable uh, Latin accent. Um, when I was listening to Radiant, it made him his character. What was his name? Um Dragonoff, uh, right. Made him sort of, gave him this sort of, uh, uh, the suave, uh, debonair, uh, swashbuckler type of, of character and really played to D Dragonoff's, um, overall character. And I think it worked really well. Initially, as Kosume, it was kind of putting off because you're right, it, he did sound kind of stiff, mainly because. He is very stereotypical, um, very stern, uh, traditional Japanese samurai kind of guy. And I found it kind of off-putting that we had this heavy, this very pronounced, not heavy, very pronounced Latin accent on this very traditional Japanese character. It, it, it didn't really sound authentic to me. As it went along, I think it made up for it with Yvonne's acting prowess specifically uh, adding to the development of Kosame's character if that makes any sense like he put 
as as Kosame sort of developed as a character and sort of let loose the traditional aspects of him and, and sort of developed into almost sort of a comic relief, uh, even though he's the straight man to Opera's um, eccentricities, uh, he just he, he did eventually start eventually becoming more human and more relatable. And that's when I could really get into it. Um, again, I think that adds a, that speaks a lot to Yvonne's acting prowess uh, to make it more believable. Because at first I was not buying this accent coming out of this character. But by the end of it, it just it felt second nature. That's my, that's my main gripe of it. And, and I can appreciate the evolution up to the point, starting from episode one to episode 13. And, uh, and it's kind of refreshing uh, in episode 13 at the very end. And it seems that that Kosame is sort of the comic relief and Alpare has become the straight man at the very end because he's the one cracking jokes. He's like, I thought you were hit on the other side. He's like, that's American comedy for you. But um, but yeah, I think it's I think mainly it speaks to an evolution over the course of the series, which is what I appreciate most of the performance. Lee George's opera did not sync with me at first because he's very opera starts out as basically very aloof, very emotionless, kind of just the only times that he really shows any emotion at all is when he's driving. Otherwise, he's either sleeping or he's just completely ignoring everyone while he's tinkering. And when he's in conversation with someone, especially during the earlier episodes, he's has a robotic uh, sort of delivery to him. He's just he's he is a, he's the textbook eccentric. As he goes on and and operates, sort of learns and develops and grows as a person and learns, hey, he becomes more human and and at times you do get a more of a softness in his voice or more, even more of a harshness in his voice, depending on his mood. And I think it all culminates after Kosame has been shot. And then he just realizes, Hey, this is what emotion actually feels like. He, cause he's been thinking logically his entire life. And now all of a sudden he's thinking emotionally and it just gets to him and it breaks down. And, and that moment when you see when Alperay realizes that, Hey, Kosame may very well not survive. And he and it's it's just sort of an emotional tour de force at that point. And I think I think Lee really pulled it off at that moment. It was there were a couple of performances that I had to grow into, but by the end of it, I think that they pulled it off very well. If that makes any sense. Awesome. Thanks, Artie. And then uh Patrick, I think you're the last person to go. Alright. Um honestly. I think I'll start with, you know, start the way everybody else did. Start with Yvonne. I see the complaints that he was a little too stiff at first. Um, I see where they're coming from. But having finished the show, I think it was the absolutely appropriate choice to do what they did. Um, especially as the character progresses and more of his personality gets a chance to shine. He seems a lot less, um, he loosens up and you can definitely see that in Yvonne's performance and 
it really does fit. Um, one of the things that really kind of stuck out for me was the scene where you think he dies after he gets shot. Um, Opera is in, is sort of in the, uh, the medical ward and he's, he's weeping for his friend. And then all of a sudden, Kosame blows the, the sheet of paper covering his face off. And yeah, he, he's faking it. I was he, so, he's... I was, I was genuinely like, Kosame, you troll. Your friend is worried sick about you and you're trying to play a prank. Kosame, not so the time. Pissed. Also, I don't know if you guys could hear it during Patrick talking. Shinya has decided that right now it is time for her to sing the song of her people at me. Oh, no. <laughs> so I also have to pet her and awkwardly aim myself towards the microphone <laughs> as she demands pets. She demands Oof. tribute. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he... His stoicism it really fit the character it, it's it's really I like what Yvonne did with him um it's hard to put to words but um everything I've heard Yvonne in he has just knocked the character out of the park um so a very solid thumbs up for him um Lee George honestly after hearing him here and in Smile Down the Runway, his vocal range scares me. Legitimately. Like, he is... I hope he gets more, like, lead stuff in, in Funimation. Maybe even beyond. Because he... He is very... What's the word I'm looking for? He's Versatile. a vocal chameleon. He has a lot of versatility. <laughs> I was about to say personality. Uh, I am tired. Versatility. He's very versatile as an actor. And, um, like, I know season three of Free was kind of an awkward one. But then again, the entire... I, I'm sort of in the same boat as Megan as the entire dub of Free is a little awkward, but um, Lee George has really had the opportunity to prove himself as like a very standout actor just for the sheer fact of how much he can do with his own voice. Um, and he's also a very talented actor as well. Um, so that one-two punch is something I, I really hope uh, Funimation can find, like, a lot of really cool shit for him to do. Um, as for his particular performances of Pare, I, I genuinely like the fact that he sort of, he started to play Opare as almost robotic in the first episode. Um, you know, almost like the Bad Brothers it seemed like he was functioning on pure id. Uh, granted, a smarter aspect of, of his id, but it it felt like he was just as impulsive as they are. Uh, and over the course of the show, he sort of warms up to people and 
allows himself to think beyond rational. And he gets to do a lot of cool stuff. So, these two lead performances are very solid. Um, definite thumbs up. But I'm going to pass this on to Final Thoughts. Alright, awesome! Final thoughts time! Uh, I'm gonna let this start off with Amon. Uh, this show's great. I love this show, it's wonderful. Uh, this is a really fun show. This dub is really well put together. Um, I, I almost don't know how to sell this if, like, a, a car... If an anachronistic car race in the Old West starring, like... Uh, like, a samurai, a kung fu master, a, a French fencer... His semi-girlfriend, a uh, and at least like three to five excellent gunslingers, does not make you want to watch this. I really don't know how to help you, man. That's on you. Uh, this is fantastic. I loved every second of it, and you should go watch it when you get the chance. And we'll tell you how later. <laughs> Thanks, Amon. Uh, Hardy. Ah, uh, from the uh, from the starting line to the checkered flag, it ran smooth. It was uh, it was entertaining. It was emotional. It was hilarious, and it's just altogether a good show. If you like fun things, then you should definitely watch this. Also, uh, Patrick or Ruth. Sorry, I keep using his real name because I use it around my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, think he minds it. I mean, I don't. So from start to finish, Apare Ronmon is. Very well put together. Um, I know a lot of people have kind of given it a little flack for really kind of slowing down in the first half and then bullet training through the second. Um, I think it's fine. I I do feel like another extra couple of episodes might have helped it along, but from what we get, it's just this really solid, fun, action-packed, just little adventure. And being 13 episodes is like the perfect length to binge watch it. Um, even though, as I have said before, I very infamously do not like binge watching shows. I I like to take them in little couple episode batches at a time. Um, this show actually ended up being very easy to watch. I watched it all of yesterday. And it... It felt absolutely fun to sit through and watch it end to end. Um, I could not recommend this highly enough. Um, and the dub is one of the most fun dubs I've had the pleasure of watching all year. So very solid thumbs up all around. Alrighty, my turn. So I was always super excited for this show. Like Since I saw the first trailer, uh, I like a lot of PA work stuff. This is, like, a lot of, like, originally I thought I was like, this is the Wacky Races. And then it was actually, like, more, a little, like, wacky and dramatic. But this dub is really good. And there's a reason it got a lot of uh, fan vote nominations. It is an absolute blast to listen to. It is an absolute joy to watch. There is, it, it is, it is so smooth. It has a fun cast. It has great writing, snappy banter. Absolutely fun direction. I know that Caitlin has worked on a couple of things this year, mostly Fruits Basket. This is just as good of a watch as that. 
if you want to watch a fun show with a great dub, maybe get to meet some actors uh, and listen to performances that maybe, like, you've heard them as, like, oh, maybe one or two characters in the show, but you want to, like, get to hear them more, this is a great dub for that. This is a dub that you could easily sit down somebody who doesn't watch a lot of anime and get them to watch. It's an absolute... It's an absolute joy, and I'm so glad that it, it got to come out this year. If you'd like mm-hmm. to watch Apure Ranman, you can watch it on Funimation in both sub and dub. Um, the linky in the description below. If you like the things that we do here, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. Uh, we do reviews for shows, movies, things. Uh, sometimes we make I make people play games. Um, if you'd like to support us as a one-time donation, we do have a Kofi. And if you'd like to support us on the reg, uh, you can via Patreon. And I'd like to give a shout out to our wonderful Patreons. Our, uh, at our $5 tier, Crimson Akinna, Michelle Travis, Miracula Corazon, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands, and Victor Mayborda. And our $10 tier, Carly Lestical, Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. If you'd like to listen to us, you can listen to us on YouTube, Spotify, I believe we're on Apple. I think so. Yeah, I think we are. Okay, cool. It's just uh, the one that doesn't really get a lot of spotlight right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, uh, uh, YouTube. And if you'd like to follow us, uh, Hardy, where can you be found? Uh, well, I used to be a Funimation forum moderator, but the forums are dead, so that's no longer accurate. Uh, you can follow me at SpacemanHardy at Twitter. Um, I mainly just retweet art these days and... That's basically it, but I, I, you can, I'm fun to listen to every now and then, so. Uh, Patrick. Yeah, I am Roots of Justice. You can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice. Uh, mainly retweet cute animal pics, talk general fandom stuff, um, writing reviews that'll go on my blog when they are finally ready to go. I will announce them via said Twitter. And, uh, I'm on. Uh, I'm Amon. You can find me on Twitter at, at AmonDuelUS. I talk about movies and comic books, and you can see me give a very long tweet thread about Chainsaw Man until I either get bored or forget to do it, uh, or get too tired to do it. And I also talk about music, and I have a dusty old song if people would enjoy it. I already know yeah, what it's yeah, going to be. I already know <laughs> I what it's going to be. Well, <laughs> If it's not, I'm going to be very surprised. I, I have two, actually, because there are two that sprung to mind. As you can tell, I have Cannonball Run on the brain. Oh, of course. It's Ray Stevens' Cannonball is one of them. Absolutely. Yep. Just over the opening as a form, as, a another... bi- as a big former Ray Stevens fan, that was I wasn't going to let you get off without one. Oh, no, we're going to have that. But I want to I have another choice, because there's another, there's another musician who is near and dear to my heart in there. Uh, there's a main theme to Cannonball Run. And when they were deciding this, they thought, hey, we need something, we need something really smooth here. We need something so smooth. We don't need a regular. We don't need a regular brass instrument to play this. We don't need a trumpet or a trombone. We oh. Need a and if you need oh. a flugelhorn in the 1970s, <laughs> you get Chuck Mangione to do yeah! it. Yeah. Because it feels so good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, go listen to both of those and watch Cannonball Run. It's a delightful movie. If you enjoy this, it, you know, is it a little dated? Like anything from 1980 is going to be dated, but like it's a fun romp regardless. Go try it out. Uh, hi, I'm Megan. You can follow me at Queen Era 2, where I shitpost on the regular and post pictures of my favorite, favorite pets, including Come Here You. 
You have sung the song of your people for the last ten minutes, <laughs> you little brat. You can't hear, you can't see it, but I have picked up Shinya because she is being a brat. Well, what else is due? My mom calls her a little bitch sometimes. <laughs> Before we put the ornaments on her tree, she got into the tree. Oh, no. I love you, baby. You get to stay in mommy's arm. And that's what she does when she gets picked up. Uh, anyway, you can follow me at Queen Year 2. I post pictures of Shinya, shitpost, retweet a lot of art, mostly Fire Emblem and gay Chinese characters. Uh, well, I'm going to rephrase that. Hi, I'm Megan. I post a lot of pictures of my cat Shinya, my dog Bailey... Uh, and retweet lots and lots and lots of Fire Emblem and MXTX art. Um, anyway, that's it, guys. We've crossed the finish line. We can all do what every good person does when they get to New York City. And that's eat pizza from a joint- a, uh, Eat pizza from a hole-in-the-wall joint that might be questionable, but we're not going to Chipotle, not after the rats fought, though. Not <laughs> after the rats fought the employees. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I say- Good night and otaku on. Boogity boogity otaku boogity, on, amen. Rock over Boston, rock on Chicago. And Chicago pizza is not pizza, it's a meat pie. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, not the comments section. John Stewart has entered the chat. <laughs> Daniel and you,